You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. In this episode, Future Net Zero founder Summit Bose speaks with Mike Hughes, the UK and Ireland's own president of Schneider Electric, as they discuss decarbonisation, the need to create new and sustainable social and economic structures, and how a significant shifting point has been reached. Mike, thank you very much for joining me. Pleasure, pleasure to be here as always, Zimmer. thank you. Yeah, um, let's start with the, the most important thing. Are you well, your family well, everyone safe? Yes, everybody, good, thank you very much. And, uh, and I hope the same with you. Yeah, obviously, yeah. very serious times. We're trying to obviously do our bit professionally and personally. I'm working from my home office here today, as you see. So just trying to set a good example and, and comply with as much of the government regulation as we are being asked to. Okay. Let's, we must start with coronavirus and let's just talk about some basic things. <coughs> Excuse me. Many CEOs would probably have never imagined something like this in their scenario planning. Uh, there are so many things that we do plan for, but perhaps this was not one of them. There's been a massive shift to homeworking, putting in new um, processes, making sure that staff who have to stay at work are still safe. Can you just briefly out outline what you've done for Schneider in the UK, uh, what you've done with staff, how, how the whole kind of protocols have worked, and, and also an adjunct to that is how you found this challenge. So let's start with what you've done and then sure. how you found the challenge. Yeah, sure. I think, I think the same as all businesses. Um, obviously, this is a very different situation. As you say, you do your business contingency planning, and then one day you wake up and it says, right now, let's, let's see how good you are, you know? So I think, I think um, it's certainly been a challenge for us as it has for all businesses. Uh, I think we were fortunate in that, you know, we're a global company, we're a corporate company. So we, we were quite used to working from different sides. A lot of our team is mobile, digital. So, so we had a good digital backbone already in place. And the first thing that struck me was, you know, two things we went for immediately. Was one, one was the health and safety of everybody. So how do we immediately get as many people as we can working from home? <clears throat> and that included a large percentage of the population that would not normally be mobile or work from home. And, and that actually went very smoothly. And again, it was down to the fact that we were already having quite a good digital footprint. Um, we were able to get people set up on laptops. Our call center, for example, is working entirely now from home. Uh, and, and having that digital backbone in place was really the first fundamental thing that was really good for us. So we have now over 70% of our people working from home. Uh, now, obviously, there's a lot of people that cannot do their jobs from home, yes. field service engineers, factories, etc. And, and two things we were doing there, Sumit, was um, first one is, of course, health and safety, trying to get as much PPE equipment as we could as quickly as we could. And again, we were using our global reach for that everywhere, including in China. Now, obviously, that's happening at a time where everybody's rushing for people. Yes, many CEOs have had the problem they can't get enough. Exactly. And, you know, <laughs> governments are trying to get yeah. it, etc. Um, so we've done our best on that. I'm glad to say we've now arrived at a point where we literally have now what we need. But that has taken a little bit of time. And that was obviously a concern 
during that time. The other thing we did was to start rearranging some of our work processes so that we could try and get this two meter distancing yeah. you know, in some of our warehousing and some of our factories, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the last thing we did, which I think was very important, uh, we saw what had happened in other countries with decisions being made to shut factories, you know, stop people going yeah. to work. And we, we, we worked very carefully with, with the government, with the base department, with our trade association, BIMA, with Make UK, to try and make sure that we were getting the message to the government that says, you know, a certain percentage of our people should be classed as essential workers because they're there to keep hospitals going, to keep the grid going, to keep water networks going, you know, to keep the data centers going that is allowing us all to work uh, digitally, et cetera. So that's really the gamut of actions that we've been taking over the last, what, probably three to four weeks. And quite for you? Busy, quite, quite yeah, busy quite busy. And for you as a challenge? Um, it, to be honest, um, the normal challenge of, let's say, running a large organization, uh, but it's actually been more, I have, I'll be very honest, it's been more of an inspiration because I think um, the challenges are always there. You know, it's another organizational channel. How do you build your network of people, get your action plan, get your project leaders? And, you know, we're, we're a large company, so we're, we're very fortunate in that we're able to set up all of these different work streams. Um, inspiration in terms of seeing how the whole teams come together. How yeah. people step up to that challenge together. Uh, I think there's a lot of positive um, social learning to come out of that. Um, yeah. You know, we were coming from a, a quite divided discussion around Brexit and all of this stuff. It's been absolutely inspirational to see how everybody is starting to pull together to face this challenge. Absolutely. Let's let's move on to you know we are hopefully you know starting to get to the stage and and we all hope that you know that we, we get through this as soon as we can. We have to prepare for the longer term, but the main thing is keeping people safe and getting our, our, our whole society through this. <coughs> Excuse me, but once you get out of this, the real thing is, where do we go? And uh, I've spoken to many CEOs, I've, I've seen, and I'm sure you have, and read the data about how the planet seems to be healing itself, you know, fish in the rivers and, in, in Venice and clear skies over China, pollution in London, pollution in all the cities in, in the UK dropped down. Do you believe in a way, as some have said, we're having a, dipping our toe in a very involuntary way into a big net zero experiment, or not as net, such as net zero, but, a, but a, an experiment in showing what do we really need to have to do? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think these are very interesting discussions. I mean, the, the, you can have them on many different levels, okay? Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind, of course, when we look at this from a net zero point of view, from a climate point of view, um, you know, this, this time right now is allowing us to set some very firm benchmarks that we would probably not have had the opportunity to set. Okay, so ironically, you know, pollution being down, transportation being down, air travel being down, all, all the rest of this stuff yeah. uh, is really is really setting some kind of, uh, unintended of course, but is really setting some kind of baseline that says, you know, that's what the world looks like and feels like when it's at that level, okay? So I, I don't think that's going to go away. I think that baseline is always going to be there now in the background somewhere challenging us and saying, well, you know, can we can we recover our economy? Can we recover our yes. 
our GDP and our way of living and our style of life, but actually still keep that kind of environment. And I think, I think that's going to be one of the positives to come out of it. I think the, the second one is, I think, just the reminder. And, and again, it is a reminder that we are not independent actors of the planet. You know, we need the planet more than the planet needs us. And I Absolutely. think it's very politely reminding us of that at the moment. Uh, and I think ironically, you know, what's happening uh, around the world with, you know, senior leaders being directly touched by that is also a very, very strong reminder that says, you know, this is everybody. This is everyone, yeah. And, you know, we, we as humans, we, we like to think that we're independent of everything and we control what's going on. Absolutely not. This is a reminder that says the planet controls what happens. So I think, I think those, deep, uh, those deep philosophical thoughts will be deep inside society. But no. do you think they'll enter the business mindset now? Do you think, you know, the, the, these things have now affected society in a way, and all leaders are members of society, and we've seen it in our families. Do you think this will now start to make people think, actually, this idea of net zero isn't just a thing that, oh, it's good to, to do. We have to do it. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we've had these discussions before about why did the market already start to move? You know, so it's it, the movement has already been happening before the the, the coronavirus came along. Um, you know, in fact, there was quite a big acceleration going into that. You looked at all the investment funds. Um, you know, the the ESG topic becoming extremely Absolutely. important, and you know, Schneider has been deeply involved in that for fifteen years. Um, the question, I think, is more what was driving that trend, and is what's happening now going to accelerate that or stop that? Right. Now, if you go back and you look at what was driving that trend, it, it, it was not just businesses. I mean, there, there are businesses that are out there driving that, but it was society itself. Mm -hmm. You know, you, we, we talked about how the big shifting point had come um, around, you know, public actions against single-use plastics, against pumping carbon dioxide, against, you know, burning fuel to, to get energy. So I think that momentum is not going away. So to answer your question will business get on that i think absolutely more so because i think society is going to be even more acutely aware that we need to be treating the planet with more respect and we need to be building social structures and economic structures that are are let's say more in tune with sustainability so that we can we can survive longer one of the the whole reasons that you know future net zero existed was because i, I was at that massive conference you had in in barcelona yeah. where uh, your CEO stood up and said that he was going to take the company to, to net zero by, within five years, 2025. Since then, which is, seems like a world away now, doesn't it, October, uh, so much has happened. Can you just give me an insight of what's happened so far in Schneider itself and on your pathway to, to net zero by 2025? That's the first part. And the second part is one of the most interesting things is about affecting your supply chains and trying to get the supply chains to work on, on this journey with you. So let's explore those two things. Where are we now? What has happened? Has coronavirus put it off kilter or has it accelerated things for the company? And secondly, let's talk about your supply chain and what you're doing there. Okay, okay, good. Yeah, I mean, so that, that's, a, that's a great way to look at it. I would say let's, let's take it in three chunks. So what are we doing as a company? What are we helping our customers to do? And what are we working with our supply chain? Okay. So I think, I think as a company, you know, we were coming out pretty strong and saying, originally we want to be net zero by 2030. 
And then at the summit you were at in Barcelona, we were saying we're accelerating that to be 2025. Now, that's quite a statement because we're using science-based targets, which means it's not you know, us checking our own Excel sheet, so to speak. It's independent scientific people coming in and, and assessing our carbon footprint, et cetera. So to, to make that happen, clearly we've been pushing that through the company. We've been driving a lot of big actions, okay? Um, so one, for example, is talking about just measuring our own energy consumption. <clears throat> and I think we talked a little bit about that before. I measure my entire energy consumption across the 50 sites that I have in the UK and Ireland. I know exactly what my kilowatt hour usage per meter square is in this office versus that office. And then we drive a whole lot of actions to try to lower that overall footprint, right? Second one is looking at where do we get our energy from? So for example, we are now 96% renewable energy. So we moved all of our energy purchasing to make sure that it was on renewable contracts. And the last 4% is, is gas, where obviously it remains a technical challenge around how you do that. So it, it's really down to individual actions by Schneider around the way it consumes energy, where it buys energy. One of the other big things we just signed up to was uh, around the EV100, the electric vehicle 100. And that is basically where you are committing to move your entire fleet to be electric vehicles by a certain date, I think around 2025 for us again. Now, in practical terms, what that means for me is I have, I think, around 1,300 vehicles on the road that in the next three and a half years, I'm going to shift to be 100% electric vehicles. So those are the practical things that we are doing, not just in the UK and Ireland, but globally, to reach that net zero by 2025. With our supply chain, of course, we are trying to now move that into the supply chain and saying, mm. well, we are making these commitments to the market. You know, supply chains are always a very, very large part of any company's footprint, whether that's in the raw materials, the way the raw materials are derived, how you use them, how you transport them, etc. So we are the, working the, right the, the embedded carbon question. Exactly, the embedded yeah, carbon yeah. question. So we yeah. look at all of our key supply chains to understand what is that embedded carbon story. Uh, we start to look at how we design our products, for example, okay? We have, a, we have what we call a green premium product. And we're saying that we want all of our products to be designed to this green premium. Now, what is green premium? Meaning you design it from the beginning to understand what materials are going in there. What is the carbon footprint of it? How can I reduce the amount of materials? Can I recycle that material at the end? And can I design the product that it is easy to maintain and extend the life of so that, you know, it's not a make, consume, throw away type of discussion. It's a make, consume, extend the length of consumption and then try to reuse. Okay. So the green premium is, is across our entire range of R&D and it really starts at R&D and looking at the, um, at the materials that are used. Okay. And by the way, things like 3D printing play a big role in that because you can now make parts by using a lot less material than if you had to you know, cut them out of a block of metal or whatever it is. So, that, yeah. so that's, that's the supply chain story, but as well, you know, even how many trucks are delivering to us, how many trips are they making uh, a day, et cetera, can we modify that, et cetera. So supply chain is a huge part of our story and we're very serious about that. We want to work with companies that have the same passion for sustainability that we have. One thing I was going to say that I've, I've, I've met with other CEOs, and, and they, they, they agree with you, and I think it's, it's the right thing to talk about. But there is another element, which is, is it carrot or stick? So do you work with suppliers who 
you say, actually, guys, if you're still continuing this, you're no longer going to be a supplier with us. Or are you, as the ultimate end customer, going to say, right, we want to shift your manufacturing. We want to work with you collaboratively to change because we'd like to keep you as a supplier. Because it's, it's, a, it's a moral question, but also it's a, it's, a, it's a business question, isn't it? Do you work with a company that is still having high carbon and you, you, you don't want that? Or do you, as you know, such a huge global giant, go, actually, we still want to work with you, but we're going to help you shift yourself? And we influence you. Yeah, yeah well, I, I think I think it's a little bit of both, isn't it? I mean, it's never yeah. it's never one or the other. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of one of the other actions that we have been doing is is making all of our factories smart. So using our own technology to you know put around the factory on all the various machines, understanding how each process works, and then being able to understand how we can produce effectively the same amount but far less energy, et cetera, et cetera. And the nice thing about that, of course, is it, 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 it's not just good for the planet. It actually drives a lot of efficiencies in your business as well, right? Yeah. So with a lot of our suppliers, we're, we're taking that knowledge and working with them and saying, yes, you know, we want to work with suppliers that share the passion for sustainability. It's clearly one of the key criteria as to why we would work with a particular supplier. But, you know, suppliers also bring a lot of technological value and innovation. And we like to think that when we are a supplier to our customers, that, you know, we're bringing things that are of value. So, so I think it's, it's about us trying to share our technical experience with suppliers. We learn from them as well. And really building that whole ecosystem where everybody is traveling that sustainability journey together. One, one of the issues, I suppose, that is interesting from the point of the consumer is that the concept that was tra getting traction before coronavirus was the circular economy. So I buy a widget or a drive or whatever I buy from you, um, and then I've got to get rid of it at the end of its lifespan. And should I be getting rid of it or should you be taking it back? You know, how do you make sure, you know, we have that ultimate question about all the technology we have here my phone, you know, I've kept a phone for five years because I don't want to keep buying a new one because I don't need to. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of stuff in this when I throw it away, that's valuable resources that, you know, shouldn't be being wasted. So what are you doing about where the consumer will be regarding, you know, this, this circular economy? Of, I think JPT mentioned it in Barcelona. Yeah. We'll build it, you'll use it, and then we'll take it back or, or we'll, we'll use it again. Yeah, correct. So, I mean, I think this is this is a natural extension of the whole discussion around sustainability. It's about, you know, moving from a society which is make, consume, discard to, you know, make, consume, hopefully consume for a longer period of time. So you, your phone will be good for more than five years, for example. And then finally, at the end of its life, it's not discard, it's, it's recollect, yes. use that material again. And I think this is where this is where the whole world is moving to right now. I think it's moving actually beyond the sustainability topic. Okay. And I've had many discussions already with people where, you know, you 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 start the discussion around saying, well, look, we can help you to save this and save this amount of energy. And say, and a lot of people are saying, well, you know, that's great, but I'm really after how do I make this circular? You know, how do I end up with zero waste in that, that I'm actually, you know, building my business processes around something where I can retrieve those materials at the end, put them back to the beginning and then reuse them as something. Absolutely. Else. So, so we, we are very deeply involved in that. And again, I talked about the green premium products that we're, <clears throat> that we're focused on. 
it's about really starting at the conceptual R&D phase and understanding what the life cycle of that product is going to be. How do you design it so that it's easy to service, retrofit, et cetera? So, you know, you're not yeah, throwing absolutely. it away. Absolutely. You yeah. can extend the life by 20%, 25%, whatever it is. So that's the first phase. And a lot of that is just around how you design the product. You know, is it easy to service? You know, do you have to take the whole thing out of a cabinet just to, to access the part that is the one that will perhaps have to be replaced first? Okay. The last part of that story then is then when you're finished with the product, <clears throat> um, what are the what are your options to recycle that? Okay. Yeah. Now, in some cases, that will be, you know, a company will be prepared to take that back. And by the way, I mean, we were doing that. I used to work in Germany in the late 90s. We were doing that then in the motor business because the motors are made up of magnets and copper, which are hugely valuable. And we were back then, we were taking our products back from customers at the end of the life. Uh, so we're already doing that today in Schneider for some of our products. The second option will be then obviously, of course, society itself will become much better at you know allocating these products and saying, you know, you can drop it off here or you can send it there, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, I think that's, that's really one of the key topics right now, Suman, is this, it's beyond sustainability. It's really this, this whole idea of the circular economy is the one that's coming quickly. Okay. Let's talk about some of the things that may shift after the, the Corona virus has been dealt with. Um, are you thinking about how many offices you really need? Are you thinking about how many flights you really need to take now because of what's happening? Because although we're in this kind of bubble where we're, we're forced to work virtually, we are finding, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking myself, how many of my staff really need to come in every day? How many of journeys do I need to, do I really need my car? I'm even thinking that. So what do you think is happening now that you may pick up on and the business in the wider place, but let's start with you and your, your side of the business. Will you be looking at different practices because of what's happened? Yeah, I, th I think um, certainly, you know, back to this idea of it's setting a new baseline for us. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's a glib expression, but it's absolutely true. You know, the world that we're going back to after Corona is not the world that we left before. So, so I think, you know, everybody's saying it, but somewhere it is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. um, I think offices is a great story. I mean, I think, the, you know, we will really be questioning, you know, what kind of footprint do you need? I think, incidentally, what has come out of that is the flip side, is the need for social interaction. Yes. You, know, we, we, you, you see, you know, okay, everybody's working from home. That's good. You know, there are big efficiencies in that. There are, but there are also clearly things coming up that say, you know, people need social interaction uh, for innovation. You do need people at the coffee machine talking to each other, etc. And I think what, what we're going to be learning is what is that right balance? And what is the footprint of an office space that you will need for that? You know, will office spaces become more about you know collective meeting places rather than desks mm. so for example we noticed that that already with our our office in london which is you know it, it's very popular for for meetings and less popular for people with desks because <clears throat> people use it it's because it's a physically easy place to get to and the facilities are nice you have a big room you can have audio visual etc cetera, etc cetera. so a lot of people use it for sort of get together meetings and then they disappear back again so i think the world going forward definitely more digital 
definitely a bigger mix of home and office. Uh, maybe offices themselves having a slightly different function than they may have had in the past. Uh, definitely less traveling. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, I think a lot of supply chains will also become much more geographically local. I think yeah. that's one of the key things that's coming out of that, that everybody can see. Um, so very, very different, a very different world uh, that we will be going back to. In terms of um, that, the, the thing that I know that is a real sort of personal passion for you is buildings. You always talk about the energy in buildings. Yeah. Um, do you think that um, one of the lessons from this is, as you were saying, just, you know, how much space we really need, but also the use of, of our buildings, you know, the, the, the classic shots of London with all the lights on and it's all grey. Well, why? You know, LA, uh, Las Vegas, all of that sort of stuff. You know, <clears throat> the, you know, big offices with sprawling desks and there's 10 people there and then it's just ready for that one busy day that happens. Um, the amount of energy simply just that we're, we're, we're just, just wasting in places that we probably didn't think, we used to think they were absolutely ne necessary, but maybe they're not. So yeah. in terms of that building, uh, you know, as, as things change, where, where do you think building profile may, may change in the future? Yeah, well, as I think, I think what this will drive in the end is, is particularly in the office space, um what is the function of the office will be the yeah. first question. okay and what is the occupancy you know i mean every company like ours you, you the cost of having an office per meter squared is x in your p l every year and um, everybody's looking at that and saying well you know hang on now a minute i've just had maybe two months where you know physically this office has been closed and and we have closed a lot of our offices just on a pure health and safety basis and said you can drop the post off, but there's nobody going in and out. Um, the real question then is you say, well, if I can run my business for two months like that, what do I really need these offices for? Okay. And, and I think that's back to the discussion of saying you do need them because you do need that social interaction, but maybe the function, the fit out, the layout, the purpose, the locations might be different. Uh, I don't think those questions are answered yet, but I think that's what we're going to be seeing as we go back. I think the whole energy consumption story will become very visible as well because, you know, we're, we're back to that digital story of saying, you know, because people are, are working more digitally, we see a big uptake, for example, in customers who are interested in, in using digital remote connection now because they don't want to travel to particular sites, but they still want to know, you know, what's my energy consumption, what am I, what's happening there. So I think it's just going to accelerate this whole mixture of, of let's say, the, the the digital and and the physical world in the way that we're working uh car is a good example i mean you know do you need your car anymore i mean that's a great question i mean i've i've been three years now without a car <laughs> yeah there I, you go. yeah I, I i i love driving i mean but literally i live in london it's it's just a pain to have a car you're right yeah i either get a speeding ticket or i can't park or whatever right <laughs> yeah. And uh, I've, I've, for three years now, I haven't had a car. And honestly, I haven't missed it for, for a day. I just, you know, rent one of the, um, the, the ones you can rent on an yeah, hourly yeah. basis if I need one. So I think a lot of things changing uh, in society at the moment. Let's, let's bring this conversation to an end. Let's look at the future. So I think it's fairly universally agreed to get to net zero by 2050, the next 10 years 
will be the, the, the biggest push. It's like pushing that boulder up the hill. We've got to accelerate far faster. Now, there are three questions that probably come out of that. One is the economic effect of coronavirus, the huge possible recession or whatever we may face, could that scupper the, the investments we need to get to, to push the net zero? Or could it work in another way where people go, we're only going to invest in the things that get us to net zero? Secondly, um, how does a business like yours look at that? So for most CEOs, don't take it the wrong way, three years is the kind of average, five years maximum, and they, they think that's their term, a bit like politicians. So you're having to link forward. You know, not even, let's not even go to the 30 years. Let's look at just the 10 years. So how does that, the, the, the forward thinking work in this environment? And then finally, you know, the technologies. We don't even know what might be coming up in the next five to 10 years that could really shift us. So there's a big question about how you invest in what technology to get us to net zero. Yeah. I know it's a lot there, but if you mind getting me through those three things, what, what your views are, I'd be very interested. Yeah, I think... Um if we look forward right so the first thing that's obviously happening right now is governments are putting up a lot of money to stimulate yeah. the economy okay um unprecedented amounts i mean it's 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 staggering and you know every day you read the newspaper you're having to adjust your your number sort of thing so i think the the, the whole point here is is that the where is that money going to go okay so the the whole idea is that you've got the stimulus money, is it going to go into the past or is it going to go into the future? Now, I personally believe that behind that, you still have, and we shouldn't forget that, that, that consumer that was emerging before we went into this, that was becoming society aware, sustainability aware, energy consumption aware, carbon footprint aware, circular economy, that, that hasn't gone away. In fact, I believe that when we get back out into that world, uh, with the experience of realizing that the planet can, you know, be rid of us if it wants to, I think that's going to accelerate. Okay, so I think where businesses have to focus is saying, "Am I investing in a model that sort of existed six months or twelve months before Corona, or am I investing in something that is actually already having momentum and is probably going to accelerate?" I absolutely believe renewable energy, energy efficiency, circular economy, single-use plastics, all of these topics that were extremely important beforehand, I think are just going to accelerate. So as a company, we will certainly be continuing to invest in a green, sustainable, circular economy future, because I think that's where the world is going to go. And I mean, the UK is doing some great things on that, as we know, with um, you know, the offshore wind market, et cetera. That's, that's not changing. The 30 gigawatts that the government is committed to is probably going to end up at 40 gigawatts, 50 gigawatts. So, so I, think, I think companies are going to keep putting their money on investments on where that bigger trend is going. And I think that's going to help us to accelerate to get to the, uh, the net zero topic. In fact, I think you know, if you think, Sumit, when we were talking about that before, if you remember one of the things that came out of the whole Brexit discussion, which was quite fractious and the rest was, the net zero was like a topic that everybody could get behind. Yes, to unite behind, and, yeah. And I think when we're done with the corona, it's going to become the topic as well that everybody gets behind and says, you know, we've had a, a very close uh, message from the planet mm. telling it us in whatever way you want to philosophically look Stop. at that, yeah, reminding, reminding us that it's, yeah. a, it's a major stakeholder in our, in yeah. our businesses. Um, and I think that's just going to mentally accelerate the whole thing.
And the point about, you know, CEOs or leaders, the, the time frame of getting the, the big push over the next 10 years, how much continuity do you think that will happen? You know, whoever your successors may be, and may not, may not for a, a long time, I'm sure, but, you know, th that message has got to continue. It can't be that you did it and then someone says, oh, no, actually, oh, no, no, I, I think that has to be embedded in the strategy of companies. So that, that's what will be the, the thought of all, all, all future leaders. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you build your business processes around where the future markets are going to be. And, you know, if individuals change within the model and, and influence it from time to time, but the core business models will have to be built around sustainability, circular economy, energy efficiency. And the final thing about technologies, you may be making decisions now. It's like the thing about, you know, the technology that went into kind of sending us to the moon is now in, your cal in a calculator or, you know, yeah. and your phone's got more technology than what we had in the 80s. So when you make those investment decisions that may come in fruition in five years, um, there's so many options. We, we don't really know what's, what's around the corner, do we? Tricky for, for, for leaders to, to decide to back a technology. No, that, that's absolutely true. I mean, it's, it's, I think technology is one of the absolutely fascinating pieces right now. Because when you look at where we are as a society with uh, the computability that is coming around quantum, with the whole data storage topic, with uh, genetics, with uh, nanomaterials, you know, software, virtual reality, digital modeling, I mean, the, um, the, the amount of technology that's coming at us in the next 20 years is just mind-blowing, okay? So trying to get a company to navigate that and pick the technologies, that, that's, a big, that's a big ask. I think all that companies can do, and at Schneider, we're, we're very focused on that as well. You see us shifting a lot to the software world, for example. Right. You've seen a lot of our investments going into software companies and saying, you know, the future will be a mixture of this physical world, what we would have called the, you know, the, the things world, and this digital software world. <clears throat> so I think what companies have to do is, is try and just understand the big trends, build the capability to understand how these technologies can disrupt. You know, you have to embrace it. You, you, trying to pick one or the other is always going to be difficult, but you have, to, you have to build the ability to embrace those technologies, be aware of those technologies, experiment with those technologies, and then bit by bit, you start to figure out which are the ones that are really going to, um, to take off. But technology, I think, is probably one of the most exciting aspects of what is in front of us to help to get this whole net zero and sustainability topic. And finally, do you feel positive? And it's a terrible time and we're all suffering, but do you feel positive once we're through this that you know, we, will, we will now find hopefully unified thought to get us to, to, to net zero? Yes, I do. I mean, I'm, I'm actually, ironically, I'm extremely positive about that. I think we're in a challenging situation right now as businesses, as individuals, as families, et cetera. Um, but actually, I, I don't think the traces that this has left in us are going to go away. I think this is going to be a generational or even, a, you know, a hundred years defining cycle of saying, um, you know, you remember that coronavirus thing that sort of disrupted the whole world, killed the economy, got everybody worried. I think that's going to stay with us a long time. As I said, I've been extremely positive around the way that I've seen my teams and many other teams and the industry teams stepping up to face that challenge you know people staying at home doing their individual bit to to try and help with society i think it's a defining moment
so I'm extremely positive. I think the mixture of, of let's say, social awareness and sustainability awareness plus the technology, I think is going to build us a fantastic future. Now, we have to get through the challenge that we have at the moment, but I think once we come back into that, I'm extremely positive about where it's going. Probably far more positive than six months ago. Mike, as ever, a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for your time. Likewise, Zumat, okay? You have been listening to a promoted podcast from Future Net Zero. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero. Better business, better planet.